With inspirational guests from across the world, this is Inspire Radio. It's a pleasure to be joined on the line now by, um, well, inspirational speaker, best-selling author, success coach and customer service expert, Michael Heppel. How are you, Michael? I'm brilliant. Thank you for that intro. I didn't realize I was quite so clever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you certainly are. So you certainly are. Yeah, it's great to talk to you and great to catch up. Must be many, well, it's a few years, I think, since we've spoken, you know. I think it has, but doesn't time fly, Steve? I mean, one minute you're doing something and then next minute it's something else. And in between times, it was about four years. Yeah, oh, I know. And it's going to be Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Mike, this this podcast is it's all about um helping people make a, a positive change to the life, you know, and, and and people see you know, look at people like yourself, let's be honest, and, and and they think life's been an instant success. And before we talk about where you are right now, could you just share a bit of your story with you and how how you've got to this point in your life? Well, I First of all, I think that, that whole expression about instant success, I, I read you, but nobody believes that. Yeah, but okay. everybody's looking for it, but, but everybody wants the shortcut. Okay. So I think every, everybody knows that there was no instant success stories and that you, you do have to work hard. But then you see people, especially some people who, you know, you see, especially if you Facebook adverts and all that type of stuff, and they're all talking about the shortcut, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Come on, do this. Buy that, and then all of a sudden you can make millions. You can do this, or you can do whatever, whatever it might be. And as you and I both know, Steve, it's not like that at all. So I, I left. I'm classic, classic entrepreneur. I left school at 16 with no qualifications, um, other than an O level in art, which seems to be a prerequisite for entrepreneurs that you only have one qualification. I always get a bit suspicious of people who that start their business and they had a, an honours degree in something. But anyway, um, and I decided that I was going to work in the family business as a roofing contractor. So my dad had this roofing business. It was very successful. And um, I would start to work with him. And then one day, um, it was all going to be mine. That was the promise. And when you're a, a young lad in the northeast of England, the prospect of owning two bands and six ladders is quite exciting. (laughs) (laughs) The the challenge was, after about a week in the job, I realized I'd made a terrible mistake. And so, oh, I don't want to be a roofer. I want to do something else. However, I did it for seven years. And I learned some some great lessons. So I I I did an apprenticeship. That was brilliant. Um, I learned um, negotiation skills from my dad. I learned about truly being a grafter and what it means to be a grafter. And then I got an opportunity to do a youth work project. I used to be a volunteer youth worker. I got a chance to do a full-time project. I told my dad that was going to be it one year, and then I would come back. And he said, you know what, son, you will never, ever come back. I said, no, no, I will. Anyway, once again, dad was right. So I left, and I became a youth worker, and then I became a fundraiser. And one day I met a guy called David Brown. He's the man who invented the caterpillar, you know, the big split axle truck? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and... Um, I met David Brown, and I got a quarter of a million pound donation from him, which when you're a fundraiser is called a good day's work, and started to ask him lots of questions. As I always do, I always ask lots of questions. And um, after two hours of this, he said, Michael, stop. You've asked me lots of questions. Let me ask you something. What are you doing right now for your own personal development? And it was the first time I'd heard those words, personal development. I was like, what does it, what does it mean? He goes, so what, what books are you reading? 
what courses have you been on that you've paid for? I was like, oh, they're good questions. And he suggested I read two books. And the two books were Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Yeah. And I'm sure that lots of the people that you talk to, Steve, will have read that book. And the other one was one of the real classics of personal development, um, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Two great and, books. Um, two great books. And they were the first two personal development books that I read. And I was like, wow, this is what I want to do. So I read lots of books and I went on lots of courses. And then I got a chance to teach what I knew to kids. So I started to teach this part-time course on weekends to kids. That grew. I uh, started to work for the company full-time, running their, their, their kids' program. And then I got a chance to teach teachers. And you know what they say, if you can teach teachers, you can teach anybody. I'm teachers, smiling, because that would be a challenge. <laughs> yeah. Well, teachers already know everything. So it's like, how do you I'm – only, I'm only kidding any teachers who are listening. Um, so I ended up um, you know, teaching teachers. And then thought, you know what, it's time to expand this. And I'd done some stuff like I'd, I'd presented at the World Thinking Conference in Singapore. I'd um, you know, met some incredible people. And they were all like, well, why are you just working with teachers? I was like, well, that's what I know. I thought, come on, get out of your comfort zone, start your own company. And that was 22 years ago. And I started off with a goal. And the goal on day one was I wanted to positively influence a million lives. What a great and goal. We achieved, yeah. And we achieved that four and a half years ago. Wow. A couple of things to pick up on though there, Michael. What one said about when, you know, you've got those words mentioned personal development. And one thing I picked up on, what personal development course have you paid for to go on? Because there's a big difference, isn't there, between making a commitment yourself and and paying for something than just going to attend uh, something. Totally. And I mean, so often, you know, people, we talk about courses people have been on, they were either sent by work or work paid for them. Yeah. And, and I remember I was working for um, a charity at the time. And I remember saying to the, the chairman of the, of the board, I want to go on this course. And I think it'll be really good for me. He went, yeah, yeah, well, if you want to book some time off, you can do it. I was like, I thought you were going to pay for it. Never mind me book time off. He went, no, no, you've just told me it's a personal development course. That means you have to. And I was a little bit annoyed with him at the time, but now I'm so grateful. Because I paid for it, and I booked time off to go on it. I sat in the front row. I took more notes. I was in the room first. I was last out. The person who was presenting it, I was grabbing a hold of him during the lunchtime and afterwards. And I, because I'd really invested personally, financially, time, and everything else, I got more out of that program. And ever since then, I thought, you know what? I'm not going to put personal development through work even when i own my own company i'm going to pay for it personally and what a difference that makes right okay and another phrase you use you know when you said about well why are you working with teachers and you said that's all i know and then it's that coming out your comfort zone yeah many people stay in that comfort zone don't they and and it's not until you step out of it that amazing things start to happen i know but you know why people stay in their comfort zone it's because it's comfortable Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> why would you want? Why would you want to get leave somewhere comfortable for potential pain? And why would you want to put yourself in a position where actually you can it could hurt? And yet, you and I know that's where all the real fun starts. That's where all the real excitement starts. But it's difficult taking those first few steps. And that's that's one of the things that I teach people a lot: how to get out of your comfort zone using pace, team, and fun. Those three things. Do things quickly. You know, pace makes such a difference. Secondly, surround yourself with people 
who also want to get out of their comfort zone. And the third element is fun. Make it enjoyable. Enjoy the process. You know, but no matter what it might be, there is some enjoyment to be gained from it outside of your comfort zone. Focus on those bits. It's much easier to get out of your comfort zone. So, so Michael, how did things develop then to you sort of getting onto the sort of inspirational speaker circuit then? Because, I mean... Well, <laughs> it's weird because, you see, I started off with this goal. I want to positively influence a million lives. I was full of great intentions, what I was going to do. At the end of the first year, I'll, I'll not embarrass myself, but I will embarrass myself by telling you that my turnover as a business was less than £20,000, the turnover. Wow. No, nobody wanted me. I thought everyone would want me to go and speak to their businesses and inspire their staff and get me to do training. Nobody did. And so that was quite a shock. And then I, um, second year, I started to do some work with um, a, a network marketing business called Euphony Communications Telecoms Business. They were the first people to do free local telephone calls. And the guy who set up the company, a guy called Dan Robeson, who's from Texas. Mm-hmm. And Dan said, um, Michael, we need somebody like yourself who can go in, who can stand up at the big events, who can really inspire people. Would you be up for it? I was like, yeah, definitely. That's me. And he said, great. Well, get on with it. I said, what do you mean get on with it? So well, you need to organize the events. You need to do it. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I thought you were just going to pay me to come along. And then he went, yeah, get your finger out and do it. And it was, again, great advice because it meant I had to go and organize the events you know, get people to come along. And very quickly, sort of within 12 months, you know, suddenly I got to this place where um, I was, not not big events, there was maybe 40 people in the room, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And then and then I got an opportunity to, to speak at a conference in, um, it was in Birmingham. And they said, oh, there'll be over a thousand people there. I was like, wow, can't believe that. That's amazing. That's great. If, if there is, it'll be fantastic. And I think they sold 2,000 tickets. And I got on stage in front of 2,000 people, and I was one of about eight speakers. And I, would, I guarantee I was the only one who was excited. So everyone was absolutely terrified about this idea of speaking in front of all these people. You know, and I'm thinking, come on, this is amazing, isn't it? Like 2,000 people. In my first year, I'd managed to speak to about 1,500. I was going to more than double what I'd done in one goal. So I was super, super excited. I'm super stoked about it. And at the end, I got this fantastic reception. I thought, this is it. This is what I want to do. This has to be my focus. So after that, everybody who um, came to work with us, they were always briefed on the same thing, which was, are we going to get closer to our goal of positively influencing a million people, or is it going to move us further away? So we did as many big events as we could. And then um, I met an amazing guy called David Bell, who was the director of people at Pearson at the time. And um, I was using him as a bit of a mentor. And he said, Michael, you've got this big goal. Um, Have you ever thought about writing a book? And I was like, yeah, I have, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to. He said, let me introduce you to a lady called Rachel Stock. And Rachel at that time um, was a publisher with Pearson. And, you know, when you go into WH Smiths and you see those top 10 business books and you always think, oh, I'd love to be in that list. Well, at that time, she had, I think it was seven out of the top 10 business books in the UK were published by her. That's how good Rachel is. She's brilliant. So to get a chance to meet with her was amazing. And I sat down with her. It was in Leeds. And um, I remember um, it was in, I think it was um, Hotel Duvan in Leeds. We were chatting away. 
and I said, look, I've got this big plan about what I want to do, and I want to positively influence a million lives, and, um, and we were talking about various things, and then she and I said, well, I've got this idea for a book called How to Be Brilliant, and uh, she was like, well, look, it sounds great. Um, the only slight challenge is that um, we are very, very busy publishing at the moment. I was like, right, why is that a challenge? It's because it'll be one and a half years before we can actually publish it. Goodness gracious. Like, one and a half years. She goes, yeah, that's the backlog at the moment. And then she just happened to drop this line, which was, unless, of course, you had the manuscript ready, because I've just had an author who's missed their deadline, and I've got a slot, but I need the finished manuscript. And I looked her in the eye, and I just told a big, fat lie. And I said, yeah, it's written. She was like, <laughs> Really? <laughs> why why didn't you why didn't you say that? I went, Yeah, 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 it's all done. And she said, Well, I need I'd need the manuscript next week. Oh. And this was the Thursday before Easter. Wow. So I was like I was like, No problem at all, yeah, yeah, we can do that. So um I got in the car and I rang my wife and I said, Cancel everything this weekend. We're writing a book. She's like, What do you have to I said, I have to have a manuscript in Rachel Stock's hands by Tuesday morning. This weekend we're writing a book. And that's what we did. So Christy and I sat down and we wrote How to Be Brilliant and we did it in four days. Oh, God. Wow. Massive action again, Michael. Massive action. My last book took me four years to write. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what, was, what was the difference then? <laughs> well, it's, well, various things. I mean, the, the last one was The Edge and to, yes. to research it took a long time. We, we did 200 interviews for that, Steve. Wow. So we had to, um, you know, the, there's people who I wanted to meet, I had to wait until either they came back from the States or, or they were, had some time in their diary. And so it was, it was a lot of that was research. Uh, but yeah, that, I knew how to be brilliant. It was, I, I taught it so many times that by the time I came to write the book, I just was basically thinking, what would I say on stage and trying to get the words that people would like to read. But your pen was going like lightning that weekend. It was, <laughs> it was so funny. And, and the weird thing is, the uh, 10th anniversary edition of How to Be Brilliant came out uh, a few years ago. And I thought, I want to tell that story at the beginning about telling the little white lie mm-hmm. to Rachel. So I got in touch with Rachel and I said, um, I hope you don't mind, but I, I want to do this. And I want to let you into a little secret. And I told her, and she said, Michael, I knew you hadn't written it. I was like, really? She said, of course you hadn't. She said, you've mentioned it four or five times that you're planning to. She said, but I also, when you looked me in the eye and said it was done, I thought, you know what? You will write it. You will do it. And I had every, every faith that you would get it done. So, so yeah, that was, that was how How to Be Brilliant came about. And the great thing with that is that you know, my books have sold over half a million copies now. So that's what gets you to your million people much, much faster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very, very much. So. But what you've been describing there as well, you know, people have come into your life, haven't you? You talked about mixing with the right people and, and these people have come into your life. At, well, I guess well, it's the right times, but also you've made it the right time. I think that's a trick, isn't it? It's that, you know, there's a, there's a, um, a phrase that somebody taught me once, and it's these magic words, and it's, it's I need your help. Mm. And to actually, and, and a lot of people, you know, get in touch with, they read, they read How to Be Brilliant, or they read one of my other books, and I often talk about these magic words, I need your help. Mm. And they get straight in touch with me, and they go, my God, I need your help. Can you help me to publish a book? Can you help me to do this? Can you help me to do that? And I'm thinking, no. And the reason I'm thinking no is not that I just, I don't want to help people. It's that they're probably the best person is right next to you now. 
they're right in front of you. You just need to connect with them. Connect with the people who are around you. To connect, do something for them first. And that's what I would do. So you know, I'm always putting it out there, putting it out there, putting it out there all the time. Because I know that if you use that energy, the right thing is going to happen and the right thing is going to come back to you. Yeah, I love it. And, yeah, and, and I, you know, to be honest, I love the book. And um, I, I love the one about your customer service with your five-star wheel as well. I think that's awesome. Oh, five-star service. Well, yeah. that, was, that, was the, that was the second. Yes. Again, I'll let you know a little secret. This is just you and I chatting, isn't it, Steve? Yes, it is. It yeah. nobody, <laughs> nobody else will listen to this, no. <laughs> so um, I had this idea that, that because Harry Brilliant did really well very, very early on, and the publishers came to us and said, um, do you want to write a second book? I said, yeah, I'd like to write a book about customer service. And they're like, oh, that's a great idea. The UK needs a, a book by a British author because all the customer service books are, are mainly US authors. And I said, so I've got this plan. And what I want to do is um, I want to visit the best customer service places all around the world, the best shops, the best hotels, you know, the best airlines. I want to visit all these people and experience it. And I honestly thought that they were going to say yes and they were going to pay for it. Okay. <laughs> right, right up until the point where I said, you, you will have to pay for this. And I went, oh, no, 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 you will have to pay for it. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, I'll make 50 pence a book. You know, you make £4.50 a book and the, and the, um, you know, the retailer makes the rest. And you, you want me to do it. And I went, yeah. And I thought, oh, sorry, I'll do it anyway. So I did. So I just went around and visited all. Yeah, I went, I, I, we went to meet with people at Disney. We did Ritz-Carlton. We, um, you know, Stu Leonard stores. Ev- everybody who we could to meet these very, very, you know, top-end customer service people to find out what they did. And the big thing was, at the end of the day, you know, when that book was first published, it was called Five Star Service, One Star Budget, mm-hmm. which I prefer. I like that name. You know, the, um, the publisher changed it just to Five Star Service, but um, because I think that's the real message. The best customer service in the world costs nothing or very, very little. And you know, Michael, I love I love that story in the book. It was, it was the hotel in Singapore. I think it was Singapore. Mm. I just love that story. And you know, I I, I must admit, I, I I do pinch and share that story with some of the people I know about great customer service. Um, if the people have not sort of read the book, could you, do you just want to share that because it's it's an incredible. I'll give you, story. Yeah. Um, well, basically, it's it's the difference between two hotels and what it's like to check in. So, um, I'll do the very short version of it. So mm. I. I used to travel by myself. I now travel with my wife, but I used to travel by myself. And there was one time I'd been um, traveling for 10 nights and I'd sit in 10 different hotels. And on the last night, I went to Glasgow and my one of my favorite cities, I love Glasgow. And I went to check into a particular hotel. I won't mention the name, but I'll just say it sounds a bit like Stilton. <laughs> so um, I go to check into the Stilton Hotel in Glasgow. And it's um, quarter past five on a Thursday night. And guess who was checking in? Everybody. That's who was checking in. So it's a big queue of people. I don't mind queuing. I'm British. Stand the queue all day. I get to the front, and this is the greeting that I get. One minute, I'll be with you in one minute. So that's fine. Then she looked at me. I've got a rucksack on. I've got a carry bag. I've got a pulley bag and a case. And she said, checking in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then this whole thing goes on. And eventually, by the time I finished the check-in, I felt um, degraded, really. It was just like, it was awful. Even how they take the credit card from you. It was like, we do this in case you want to steal the furniture. It was like that kind of strange <laughs> attitude. 
And I was comparing that with um, checking into the Ritz-Cartman, uh, Singapore. And it was seven years between visits. And, um, and, and I was staying there. And this time I was with Christine, my wife, and uh, my daughter, Sarah. And we pulled up outside of the hotel. It's been seven years since we'd stayed there. And they opened the door and they said, good afternoon. Welcome back to the Ritz-Carlton, Mr. Heppel. Hmm. After seven years. I was like, whoa. Oh. And then ev- every moment, and even how they, how they asked for a credit card. I mean, the, the, the girl behind the desk, she was 17. She'd been in the job for about just three months. And I always think, what can you learn from somebody like this? She said, Mr. and Mrs. Heppel, you're going to be staying with us for the next five nights. During that time, you might be interested in ordering room service, having a drink at the bar, eating in one of our fine dining restaurants, or browsing the boutiques. Perhaps you would allow me to take a swipe of your credit card so you don't have to worry about carrying money. Hmm. I was like, that is perfect. That is the most, I know it's a script, but it's perfect. It's absolutely beautiful. And she delivered it from the heart. And I felt like saying, you keep that card for a couple of days, love, and get yourself something nice. Because <laughs> she put such a deposit in my emotional bank account. I was like, wow. So, yeah, they're, they're very good. That's to do it. Yeah. And what, yes, great story. I just, I love that story. So, Mike, Mike you're, you're, there, you're there with your books now. What are you up to now, Ben? How was, I know recently you were over in some, in Europe with some big events, a Clive Woodward and everybody there. And so you're doing some big things. I mean, that's, that's the day job. So I'm very, very lucky that I get to speak at lots of events, and um, I love doing that. Um, also, we do two what we call Hearts and Minds programs each year. So Hearts and Minds are where we go into an organization, and we do a complete transformation over people development and customer service. And it's hearts for your customer. We love our customers, but minds for yourself. And my argument is this. You cannot be better for your customer unless you're better for yourself first. Otherwise, you end up with that stuff. You know, you've heard people and they kind of do the have a nice day and all that type of stuff. It's rubbish. It's awful. People have to want to serve. They have to be excited about creating great service. So half to mind says that. I'm also writing two books simultaneously. And I'm going to see which. And, and at the end, I'll decide which one will be published. Um, but one is called, well, a working title is um, You're Better Than That. Uh, the most slight challenges that people say it sounds like you've been told off. You know, like you, you, your mum mm. used to say, "You're better than that." Yeah. But I think it's it's not about that. It's kind of it's, it's self talk. Come on, you're better than that. About how you can just do things that little bit better. And the other one is called the Forty Year Apprentice, and um, this is the one I'm probably most excited about. And it's about the fact that the first forty years of your life were just preparing you for the second forty, and all the brilliant stuff happens after forty. And if you look back over your life, Steve, and think, you know, what did I do up to 40? Well, I did awesome. I did some stuff. I did some great stuff. What did I do after 40? I did awesome stuff. Yeah, lots and it's, of stuff. Yeah, and it's kind of getting people into the mindset that, you know what, it doesn't, even if you're 40 or you're 50 or you're 30, it doesn't matter where it is, all of your life's experiences are preparing you for what's happening now. So the subtitle will probably be how to make the rest of your life the best of your life. Great. Well, we'll look forward to, uh, well, I tell you what, knowing you, Michael, we'll probably both come out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, it's one of those weird things. That I've got to tell you that um, the 40-year the apprentice, I love the idea. Everybody I talk to loves the idea. Publishers are so challenged these days with wanting to do stuff that's either incredibly specialist 
mm-hmm. or very broad. So that the idea of getting something in the middle is a real challenge. So if you're a, um, a, a, a Buddhist Lama who has been um, practicing Zen meditation for the 85 years, a new writer book specifically on meditation, great, they'd love that. If you write a book that is so general, it's just called How to Be a, How to Be a Bit Better, then they'll, they'll like that. The bit that's in the middle, so they said to me, um, my mind, it's all very good, but what about the people under 40? And I said, it's all right, it's not for them. And they went, oh, well, well, why would you miss those people out? I was like, well, why do people do books on vegetarianism? For me, and media is not going to buy it. Or they might want to go, well, they might. I said, well, exactly. Well, people under 40 might want to have a little look at what I'm writing. But, and so anyway, end of the day, I, um, I, I, I think we'll definitely get it published. And um, I aim to have it done and out either later on this year or early next year. Brilliant. And, and like, you've got a couple of events coming up very shortly, haven't you? In, one in Leeds or something? Yeah. So the, um, I, I do an event every so often called How to Be a Super Speaker. And it's normally, normally like a workshop. So it would last for maybe um, you know, a half a day or something like that. But there's a lot of people who are really getting into the idea of speaking. You can see the benefit of speaking. If you have a look at LinkedIn, how many people are making videos on LinkedIn? <laughs> Most of them are, are, are terrible. Sorry, most of them could be better. That's the positive about it. Most of them could be a lot better. So learning how to speak and learning how to present, I think it's a really important skill. It's a master skill. So um, I've, I'm, I've created with Action Coach an event called uh, How to Be a Super Speaker Masterclass. And I'm doing that in Leeds on July the 5th and in London on July the 12th. And um, if you go to actioncoach.co.uk and have a look at events, you can see the details on there. Okay. And, and Michael, and what about, you know, I know you, you, you work with a few individuals on an individual level throughout a year. You still doing that? I coach four people a year. So, um, coaching is, I love coaching. I, um, there's a couple of organizations where I go in and I'll do like little short sessions with a bunch of staff, usually leadership teams, but that one-to-one coaching, I do 90-day programs with people. So, you know, we start off, we find out exactly where you are, where you want to get to, um, and then we have an agreement, and I meet people face-to-face once a month, and we do a, a call every week, and we do all that stuff, and we work for 90 days. And um, that's the stuff. I mean, is it, did, uh, recently, you know, there's a few sort of celebrity things that have come out and um, where the celebrities who I work with have, have named me, which has been very kind, you know, that, um, the, the most recent one is Sarah Cox, you know, who does a drive time show on, on Radio 2. And she said, um, I can plot back the exact moment when my career changed for the better. And it was when I had my first coaching session with Michael Heppel. And I was like, whoa, you know, the fact that she would say that, she didn't have to. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone who I work with, confidential. And, um, and Davina McCall, the same thing, you know, she's the same thing where she said, look, absolutely you transformed my life. You changed my life in 90 minutes. So it's very nice when people say stuff like that. But the vast majority of people who I work with, they're, they're not well-known. They're not famous. They're not celebrities. They just know that they can be a better version of themselves. And I help them to do that. Okay. Well, I'm going to share something with you right now, Michael, because I can remember sitting with you in a hotel in Newcastle probably about 10 years ago, if uh, around that time, when I was going to go yeah. in one direction. 
and we had a one-to-one and, and you actually put me, pointed me and made me see the, uh, the right way to go. And I'd like to thank you for that. Oh, it's a pleasure. Yeah, that was at the, uh, I think that was the Copthorne Hotel, wasn't it? It certainly was. It certainly yeah, there was. we go. Yeah. I remember. Yeah, was it? Yeah, very much so. And, and I, you know, thank you for that. It actually changed my life as well. That was, uh, that was a, an awesome meeting. So look, you know, if, if people want to find out more about you, get in touch with you, Michael, how can they do that? I, you know, we do a thing called 90 Days of Brilliance, mm-hmm. which is a, it's a free newsletter, really. And what we do is um, if you go to michaelheppel.com or just Google Michael Heppel, and we should come up first, michaelheppel.com, and there's a little button to click that says 90 Days of Brilliance. Would you like to be coached free by Michael, 90 Days of Brilliance? So click on there, fill in your details, It'd be quite nice if, if um, it says where you hear about us that you heard from from Steve's podcast, and then I'll send you a whole bunch of stuff, and you'll get stuff for personal development, you'll get stuff on time management, you'll get stuff about setting goals, a whole range of different things. But everything's designed to help you over a ninety day period to step up to the next level. Brilliant, awesome, and I must say, well worth taking a, a look at that. And before we yeah. finish, Michael, we, you, you touched on. I know, you know, I'm going to say, I just love your books, and you touched on a couple, you. Of, couple of books that changed your life. Is there any recently that have, you've you've read that have gone, you know, that are not yours, of course, but that you've gone, yeah. wow, that is awesome. Harry Potter. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. I, so late to the party with this, but I am reading Harry Potter at the moment, and it is amazing. I mean, uh, uh, you know, it's one of those things. I, I I read so much fact, you know, mm. I read so many personal development books and different things like that. So I, I can't. I need a bit of escapism, and I do like sort of the odd thriller and that type of thing. And my daughter said, um, "Can't believe you haven't read Harry Potter yet." I was like, "Oh yeah, I think I'll do that." I started reading them. I'm, I'm reading the um, the Goblet of Fire. Not the Goblet oh. of Fire. Which one? What's the fourth one? Um, oh, I can't remember the name of it. I, I'm going to sound like I'm not a Harry Potter fan, but I actually am. <laughs> there you are. Um, hang on. I'm going to cause I do it on audio. Yeah, the Goblet of Fire. That's okay. what it is. Harry okay. Potter and the Goblet of Fire. I'm doing it on audio. Stephen Fry narrating it. Oh, wow. Could listen to him all day. Brilliant. God. Well, um, as the, in, Michael, as, as the song goes, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was awesome. Well, you know, look, keep in touch. Um, Thank you. Great, great to talk to you. We'll get this podcast out and yeah, I'm sure people will be in touch. It's always a pleasure to chat. Great. Thank you very much, Steve. That was great. With inspirational guests from across the world, this is Inspire Radio. Inspire Radio.